Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 133. And today we're going to take a look at the Federal Bureau of Prisons. This is kind of interesting. I did not know that it went back so far, but it's very interesting to learn all these things. But first of all, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome. So a big shout out to North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, New York, Virginia, Texas and Oklahoma in terms of countries, the United States and the Russian Federation. Okay, so let's take a look at some some just simple facts to start with. So the Federal Bureau of Prisons was uh, officially formed May 14, 1930, although they did have prisons before then. They've actually had prisons since before the turn of the century, but this is where it became a actual federal bureau of prisons. So they were separated away from states, prisons and things of that nature. They are headquartered in the Federal Home Loan Bank Board building, big old long title, and that is located in Washington DC, which is our capital of the United States. Their motto, I I was kind of taken aback by it. It says correctional excellence, respect and integrity. I kind of laughed at that a little bit, but it just kind of took me aback because I know the history of some of the prisons. Um I think it's a good motto to have, but unfortunately in the 1980s, which we will discuss later in time with this, in the 1980s there was an extreme war on drugs mentality. and thousands of people were incarcerated when they should not have been so that's not really correctional excellence respect or integrity in regards to uh the citizens of the United States it just kind of felt like um you have over policing and this was when a republican was president some of this was done um when a uh, president Ronald Reagan was in office there were other things that I love that he did he was a wonderful president but I think Him and his administration, they were just obsessed with drugs and just throwing people in jail, and that doesn't help people that have drug addictions. People that have drug addictions, they need treatment, they need therapy. It's totally different than going to jail. My personal opinion is that the majority of people that have drug convictions, they're not violent crimes, so they should not be in jail. They should go to rehab. that's the appropriate action because unfortunately a lot of these people that were arrested and we're talking about thousands of people here both men and women were arrested for drug offenses that were that were non-violent crimes they're not sex offenders it's not murder it's not manslaughter it's just you know maybe they had some weed on them or cocaine or something like that that's not to me that's not criminal because it's not the same as hurting somebody it's not You know what someone does as a recreational hobby in their home is completely different than actually bringing harm to someone's life. But unfortunately, the federal government during the 80s and 90s uh really went on a hit parade and locked up thousands of people and so unfortunately a lot of people that were were not criminals were put in jail and uh some not very good things happened to them and most of their lives were ruined. So that's why I just kind of I laughed not in that it was funny but just kind of like wow that's your motto correctional excellence respect and integrity now however our prisons have gotten better since then because I think they have woken up to the fact that 
drug-related offenses are not the same as like a DUI, a murder, manslaughter, a rapist, a burglary. It's not the same. Drug offenses are completely different. It's usually um, a habitual habit. It's usually a, an addiction, and that is completely different um, than robbing someone at gunpoint or uh, carjacking somebody. I mean, it's just completely different. So I think our country and our prison system is lear- learning and has learned that there are different reasons to lock people up. However, drug offenses they they need they need therapy. That's the appropriate action, meaning they need medical support, not prison support. They need medical support is what it is. So just FYI that's their motto is correctional excellence respect and integrity they can mean well but again the 80s and 90s kind of screwed things up with our prison system and then we had an overpopulation in our prisons that is why unfortunately during that time they were quick to lock people up and throw away the key which i don't agree with at all at all on that um so in terms of employees they have 36,697 employees now their budget is really large but i don't think they're wasting money me personally i just think our prison system it's it's overpopulated they're they're overpunishing people and i think it's ridiculous so their budget meaning what they spent in one year and this is for 2021 was 9.3 billion dollars that's annually so more than likely it's going to increase as time goes on especially the more people they incarcerate Now their parent agency is the Department of Justice. I find this to be very interesting because we have a lot of advocate groups that are kind of calling out the Department of Justice on hey, you're over arresting people, you're targeting people and you're over incarcerating people. Like you're making it um a prison for just nonviolent offenses and also we have what's called a debtors prison. Those are supposed to be illegal. but we do have them here in Oklahoma which is interesting because again we're in the Bible belt so just because you live in the Bible belt that doesn't mean that people actually love or respect their heavenly father which means they more than likely will not love and respect you if they do not value their god so just be aware of that although sometimes they do like to put on the christian mask and make it seem like they care they really do not so just FYI be aware of that so let's go ahead and dive into this just a little bit more It says the Federal Bureau of Prisons also known as BOP is a United States federal law enforcement agency under the Department of Justice that is responsible for the care, custody and control of incarcerated individuals who have committed federal crimes. So that means it's not state crimes. So it's it's different things here. These are federal crimes that is violations of the United States code. So someone You know, they can commit a federal crime or a state crime or both. It depends on what code they violate. That's why some people can be sentenced in multiple courts and have multiple sentencing. It depends on what all they did. A little bit of history, it says the federal prison system had existed for more than 30 years before the BOP was established. Although its wardens functioned almost autonomously, the superintendent of prisons, a Department of Justice official in Washington, was nominally in charge of federal prisons meaning they I guess they get nominated to that 
um, starting with the passage of the Three Prisons Act in 1891. So as I said, these prisons go back a long ways to the turn of the century. And that act authorized the first three federal penitentiaries. The first one is USP Leavenworth. The second is USP Atlanta. And the third is USP McNeil Island with limited supervision by the Department of Justice. It says here, until 1907, prison matters were handled by the Justice Department general agent with responsibility for Justice Department accounts, oversight of internal operations, and certain criminal investigations, as well as prison operations. So there was a lot that went under one umbrella before the BOP was created. So as it grew, they needed more help, basically. In 1907, the general agent was abolished, and its functions were distributed between three new offices. The Division of Accounts, the Chief, or sorry, the Office of the Chief Examiner, and then the Office of the Superintendent of Prisons and Prisoners, later called the Superintendent of Prisons. The Bureau of Prisons was established within the Department of Justice on May 14, 1930, by the United States Congress. and was charged with the management and regulation of all federal penal and correctional institutions. This responsibility covered the administration of the 11 federal prisons in operation at that time, so we only had 11 back then. That's really good, because now we have way too many, and I think it's ridiculous, because that tells me we're, we're over-arresting people and we're over-criminalizing people, which is horrible. By the end of 1930, the system had expanded to 14 institutions, with 13,000 inmates, and a decade later in 1940, the system had 24 institutions with 24,360 incarcerated. Now let me jump a little bit here to another part of this article. So back in 1940, they had 24 institutions and 24,360 that were incarcerated. As of the year 20, let's see, of 2019, It says we have 177,214 people currently um, incarcerated. That is way too many people. That's why we have overpopulation of our prisons right there. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but that is a huge increase in terms of um, incarcerating people. I just think it's ridiculous. Like I don't think there's actually that many people committing that many crimes And I don't think that many people deserve to be in prison for their, for their life. I mean, I just think that's ridiculous. I think it's stealing someone's livelihood is what my personal belief is, because I think it depends on the crime. And I think they over-criminalize so many things. It's just like, you know, there's a difference between something being a serious crime and not being serious. I'm not saying that if something's not serious that you shouldn't punish them. They should, but there's a difference in the sentencing. Totally different. It says here the state of Alaska assumed jurisdiction over its corrections on January 3, 1959, using the Alaska Department of Corrections. Prior to statehood, the BOP had correctional jurisdiction over Alaska. As a result of the Sentencing Reform Act of 1984, which a lot of funky things happened in the 80s in regards to prisons and sentencing and things of that nature, It says, as a result of this Reform Act of 1984 and subsequent legislation, which pushed for longer sentences, hence over-incarceration, less judicial discretion, and harsher sentences for drug-related offenses, the federal inmate population doubled in the 1980s and again in the 1990s. 
The population increase uh, decelerated in the early 2000s, but the population continued to increase until 2014. And if you hear that noise, that's the landscapers outside, so please ignore that. They're taking care of things out there. It says here, the National Capital Revitalization and Self-Government Improvement Act of 1997 transferred responsibility for adult felons convicted of violating District of Columbia laws to the BOP. So there are some changes there and who has jurisdiction. Let's see here. We're going to talk a little bit about the administration and the employees of the BOP. So as of 2020, 62.5% of bureau employees are white, 21.3% are black, 12.6% are Hispanic, and 2.3% are Asian, and 1.3% are Native American, and 72% of the bureau employees are male. And let's see here, there is roughly one corrections officer for every 10 prisoners. I think that's way too low. I really do. But the reason why it's low is because they have over-incarcerated, like they have too many people. So it says here, all BOP employees undergo 200 hours of formal training in their first year of employment and an additional 120 hours of training at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers in Glencoe, Georgia. So it's a lot of training, so that's good there, and they need that training. Not only to protect the prisoners and inmates, but to protect themselves. So just one of those things. Now, there are several different types of federal prisons. It says the BOP has five security levels. So the first one is federal prison camps. The BOP minimum security facilities, it features a lack of or a limited amount of parameter fencing and a relatively low staff to inmate ratio. Number two, there is a low security federal correctional institutions. Um, they have double fence parameters and inmates live in mostly cubicle or dormitory, uh, dormitory housing. The third one is medium security FCIs. And some United States penitentiaries are classified to hold minimum security inmates. The medium facilities have strengthened parameters, which often consist of double fences with electronic detection systems. Medium security facilities mostly have cell housing. The next uh, part of it says most U.S. penitentiaries are classified as high security facilities. The parameters, um, highly secured, often have reinforced fences or walls. The federal correctional complexes are co-locations, sorry, co-locations of BOP facilities with different security levels and or genders. And lastly, administrative security facilities are prisons with special missions and capabilities. An example would be federal medical centers which house sick and injured inmates getting medical care which is beyond the capabilities of a normal institution for for example, Maybe if someone needs cancer treatment like radiation or chemo, they may not provide that in a regular prison, so they have to go to a medical facility. So it kind of depends on the severity of the condition of the inmate. It says some units have small adjacent minimum security satellite camps. 28 institutions hold female inmates. As of 2010, about 15% of bureau inmates are in facilities operated by third parties. I disagree with this because there are so many third-party third party, uh, companies. They're just in it for the money, so it's privatized. Um, normally, I would be for privatizing things, but I think with prisons, I don't think they should do this. I think it's wrong. So it says that it's operated by third parties, mostly private companies. 
while others are in local and state facilities. Some are in privately operated residential reentry centers or community correction centers. I'm okay with that because these are probably centers that are helping people to reenter society. I think that's really good. The bureau uses contract facilities to manage its own prison population because they are especially useful for housing low security specialized groups of people such as sentenced criminal aliens. Uh, next we're going to talk about correctional officers. So it says in the BOP, correctional officers are uniformed federal officers who protect and look after BOP prisons and inmates. The BOP has special operations response team as well as disturbance control teams. So it's very important that they have both of those. So that includes uh, going into that extensive training, which helps to keep them safe as well as the inmates and the prisoners as well. A little bit about the inmate population. So. It says as of 2021 the bureau was responsible for approximately 131,040 inmates that's quite a few and 122 facilities that's way too many were were demonizing people were were just overpopulating our prisons and that's not right especially for nonviolent offenders It says 57.9% of inmates um were white 38.2% were black 2.5% are Native American, 1.5% are Asian, 93.3% are male. Let's see here, 75% of inmates were between the ages of 26 and 50. As of August 2020, 46.2% of inmates were incarcerated for drug offenses. Now, can you imagine? That's almost 50%. If it's just drug offenses, can you imagine if those people just actually got treatment as opposed to being put in prison? That would decrease the incarceration rate by almost 50%. And I think that's what we should do. Cuz it's just way too many people being locked up in prison. You'll lock them up and throw away the key. That kind of tends to be the mindset in the Bible Belt, especially in Oklahoma and Texas, possibly Kansas, and I don't agree with it. I just don't. I think it's one thing to be a violent offender. It's completely different to be non-violent, but yet be housed with these people that are violent or you're serving just as long a sentence term or even longer than someone who has a violent criminal record. I think it's ridiculous some of the things that go on with this. So a little bit about female inmates. It says as of 2015, 27 bureau facilities house women. The bureau has a mothers and infants nursing together program for women who enter the system as inmates while pregnant. The bureau pays for abortion only if it is life-threatening for the for the mother, but it may allow for abortions in non-life-threatening cases if non-BOP funds are used. In 2017, four Democratic senators including Kamala Harris included a bill explicitly requiring tampons and pads to be free for female prisoners. Now here's the thing. I didn't know that they could charge prisoners for hygienic items. I I came across this when I worked with a lady years ago whose son was in prison for good reasons. Um he committed a really heinous crime. But what I didn't know was that when they are in prison, they have to pay for their toilet paper, they have to pay for their soap, they have to pay for all these toiletries whether you're male or female. Well, what sucks, um there is some fraud that goes on in the prison system because They were overcharging prisoners for toiletries. Yet they were buying really crappy materials and products. It was horrible. 
and yet they would not allow family members to give them stuff. So it was a racket. So it was kind of like racketeering within our prison system. And I totally disagree with this. It's ridiculous. I think that if family members want to bring them stuff, they should be able to. All they have to do is inspect it and make sure they're not slipping them anything. But this is the kind of stuff that was going on in our prisons. So God bless Kamala Harris and these other senators because I didn't know that female prisoners were having to pay for their tampons and their pads, but yet they're not allowed to work. Like they're not allowed to earn a decent living. Plus whatever labor they do um partake in in prison, whether they're male or female, they're paid peanuts. So they're paid peanuts for their labor, which is stealing their labor. and then they're overcharged for anything that they need to purchase in prison. It's a total racket. So that is some of the fraud that happens in our prison system, whether it's state or federal, and it needs to stop because it's teaching prisoners how to be corrupt if they were not already corrupt before they went into prison. This is why there are so many people that serve um a a jail sentence and they come out worse than when they went in because they learned a lot of stuff from our prison system and that's not what is supposed to happen. That's why I kind of laughed at their motto, correctional excellence, respect and integrity. Well, how is there respect and integrity if you're overcharging someone for horrible goods and then you're stealing from their labor like you're not paying them appropriate wages for the work that they do? I've always been in favor of If if inmates are going to work, you need to pay them what they would be paid out in the private sector and then those funds can be sent to their families because a lot of people that are incarcerated they may have been the breadwinner or they may have had a job, more than likely they did have work and they still need to support their family or their children. But unfortunately, that gets taken away from them, but yet you have a prison system that just just works them to death. I mean, I don't think we have chain gangs anymore, which I don't know how that was ever considered ethical or moral, but I think it's very offensive that we've had these types of bad forms of labor. It's horrible. So I think there's still a ways to go in terms of correcting these issues because I think even if someone is incarcerated, they still need to be treated with dignity and respect and just because someone has committed a crime does not mean they should be overly punished. or that they should be lied to or disrespected or used for cheap labor that's wrong because you're encouraging people to be bitter and you're you're actually causing them to grow in hatred and that's not what a correctional facility is supposed to do they're supposed to correct the prisoner however long that is and they're in their jail sentence but can you imagine being in prison and then they're so you're surrounded by corruption and you're treated like garbage Do you really think those people are going to be happy anyway or when they do re-enter society do you really think they're going to be normal? That's my point. I've seen this happen in Oklahoma and in Texas. I don't know about other states, but you know Oklahoma and Texas, they are very quick to lock people up and throw away the key. Oklahoma actually has one of the highest incarceration rates in the United States. And that's really sad, and that's not something that I wish our state was known for. So there is work to be done. because people have rights and all life has value. So we really need to I think we need to remind ourselves of that simple fact. Let's see here. It says here a 2018 review of the Evaluation and Inspections Division Office of the Inspector General, US Department of Justice found the bureau's programming and policy decisions did not fully consider the needs of female inmates, why am I not surprised, in the areas of trauma treatment programming.
pregnancy programming and female hygiene. You know what's sad is that female hygiene is basic. It's basic. But yet our prison system um wasn't even taking care of our female prisoners at a basic level. How sad is that? I think it's pathetic. So we really need to to set the standard, not degrade the standard. In terms of juvenile inmates, it says as of 2010, typically juveniles sent into bureau custody are between the ages of 17 and 20 and must have been under the age of 18 at the time of the offense and had been convicted of sex-related offenses. This is because the most severe crimes committed on Indian reservations are usually taken to federal court. As I've said in times past, some of the crimes committed on federal or sorry, Indian reservations are quite heinous. They are quite horrible and quite violent. So, needless to say, um there's a reason why Indian reservations are not safe. So, just be aware of that. According to the bureau, most of the juveniles it receives had committed violent crimes and had an unfavorable history of responding to interventions and prevention measures in the community. As of that year, most juvenile, excuse me, as of that year, most federal juvenile inmates were from Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, Nebraska, and the District of Columbia. And some of that data does not surprise me. It says here the bureau contracts uh, or contracts with facilities that house juvenile offenders. Title 18 USC 5039 specifies that no juvenile committed may be placed or retained in a adult jail or correctional institution in which he or she has regular contact with adults incarcerated because they have been convicted of a crime or are awaiting trial on criminal charges. That's actually a smart thing to do because minors can easily be hurt, harmed or violated by adult offenders. So we need to make sure they are protected as well. Um the definition includes uh, secure facilities and community-based correctional facilities. Federally sentenced juveniles may be moved into federal adult facilities at certain points, basically when either they turn the age of 18 or when they turn 21. Next we're going to talk a little bit about death row inmates. So um this kind of goes back to the 80s when our government um was basically on the war path against drugs and really just wanted to sentence as many people as possible, which is really sad. And I did not know about this stuff until I became an adult because I was a I was a 80s baby. I was born in 84. So, um I will say this I remember in the 90s we had a a dare drug officer uh that would come to our school, our grade school, and she was just a nut, anti-drug, anti-drug, and it was just shocking about how crazy the police were. But I can see why because of what was being mandated to them at a federal and state level. Needless to say, we didn't trust cops <laughs> for the longest time because they were just crazy. It was weird. But anyway, it says the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1988 reinstated the federal death penalty and I disagree with this because I don't think all federal crimes warrant a death sentence. And I think sometimes we execute the wrong person. Unfortunately. So it says on July 19th, 1993, the federal government designated the United States Penitentiary Terry Hot in Indiana as the site where male, sorry, uh where basically they will execute federal male inmates. 
And also, um, they would be held there and where federal inmates of both genders would be executed, so both men and women are executed there. The Federal Medical Center, uh, Carswell in Texas, holds the female inmates who have been sentenced to death. Some uh, male death row inmates are instead held at ADX Florence and one in MF, sorry, MCFP Springfield. As of January 16, 2020, 49 federal inmates are on death row. Under the Trump administration, the BOP carried out 13 executions. Public health experts called for a delay in the executions, warning that they could be super spreader events in regards to COVID-19, which that did happen. Next, we're going to talk about overpopulation and responses to this. So uh, parole was abolished for, for federal inmates in 1987, and inmates must serve at least 85% of their original sentence before being considered for good behavior release. I completely disagree with this. I think we need to bring back parole, especially since we over-incarcerate people and we over-criminalize non-violent offenders. I think it's ridiculous. In addition, the current extremely strict sentencing guidelines were adopted in response to rising crime rates in the 1980s and early 1990s, especially for drug-related offenses. U.S. violent crime has dropped since then, but some analysts and activists believe that other factors played a much more significant part in falling crime rates, such as people getting drug treatment therapy, getting therapy in general, um, getting mental health. So it's one of those things that drug-related offenses are not always just about the drug. There's usually mental trauma and physical trauma. If you address the root cause of this, then you won't have drug-related offenses occurring anymore. But if, if you never address the root problem, then it will continue to manifest itself in many ways. So um, in addition, they hold that strict federal sentencing guidelines have led to overcrowding and needlessly incarcerate thousands of nonviolent drug offenders who would be better served by drug treatment programs. So I completely agree with this. So in regards to uh, COVID-19, it says uh, by July 30th, 2020, there were 2,910 federal inmates and 500 BOP staff employees who had, who had uh, tested positive for COVID-19 during the nationwide pandemic, 7,312 inmates and 683 staff members have recovered from COVID-19. There have been 99 federal inmate deaths and two BOP staff member deaths attributed to COVID-19. The BOP conducted executions during the pandemic that reportedly did not adhere to physical distancing rules leading to criticism that the BOP was facilitating super spreader events. I agree with this. I would think they would halt and stop all executions during a pandemic, but I guess not. Staff reportedly refused to wear face masks, a violation of court orders, and knowingly withheld information about confirmed COVID-19 diagnoses from people who had interacted with infected individuals, along with hindering contact tracing efforts and allowing staff members who had been exposed to COVID-19 to refuse testing and to work, or sorry, to refuse COVID testing and work. Public health experts called for a delay in executions as they could not be carried out safely without risking the spread of COVID-19. This is one of those things that whenever you have an, a pandemic or an epidemic of any kind, you need to remember your prisons because unfortunately disease spreads very rapidly in prisons, even if it's not COVID-19. 
For example, the flu spreads very quickly in prisons. Oklahoma, if we're not um, being on the news for the state fair or more positive events, we are typically in the news for over-incarceration of prisoners and also a high death rate due to the flu as well as the outbreak of different diseases. Um, we had an outbreak of hepatitis C several years back, and they actually linked it to massage parlors and nail salons that um, was being run basically by pimps and they had prostitution. So FYI, just a side note, if you get your nails done and it's being done by a foreigner such as an Asian woman or someone from Eastern Europe, more than likely she is trapped in um, sex trafficking and prostitution. More than likely she was promised a job here in the United States, but she did not know that it would, it would be predominantly the sex trade, but they hide that by having these nail salons and these spas. And so it's one of those things that we did have an outbreak of hepatitis C, and they had to investigate. This was several years back, but it's one of those things that, you know, disease is disease. It's, it's not just the poor or the rich or the middle class. It's not just one segment of the population that can get this stuff. It can actually be many people or several people. And sometimes this stuff can spread in our federal prisons, which is very unfortunate. Um, but just FYI, be aware that... We do have an over-incarceration rate, which we need to lift, up, lift that up in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that less and less people are incarcerated, less and less people commit crimes, whether violent crimes or nonviolent. I pray that if, if people have committed a nonviolent crime, that they serve a way lesser sentence and that they get the help that they need and then they are released back to a normal everyday life. Because we need this, Father. We need this so much. We have way too many people in prison and that should not be there. So, Heavenly Father, we lift this up in prayer and we thank you for your help in every single way. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Um, as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.